Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hillary Milnes, and on today's episode, Lafayette 148 CEO and co-founder Deirdre Quinn discussed how a move from Soho to Brooklyn changed her company's outlook, where she's investing in growth, and how to become a lifestyle brand while staying focused. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Deirdre. Hi, thank you. So excited to have a co-founder because Lafayette started... What year exactly? 1996. Got it. So um, the business has evolved a ton since then. Uh, you recently moved the headquarters from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Is that right? Yes, we were on Lafayette Street and we moved over to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Yeah. So tell us, how did you, you know, kind of take that as an opportunity to kind of do a little bit of a inward looking uh, change or, you know, how are you reevaluating re- where the brand stands, who it is, especially moving off of Lafayette Street, uh, the, the namesake? Well, it was a big decision. We definitely uh, loved being in Soho. And we were there in the early years when it was still a bit scrappy. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, running a company as it grew on seven floors of a building became like seven little companies. So we really wanted to uh, sort of find a new way to work together, to bring different teams together. So um, actually, the first place I looked was a Navy Yard, Mm -hmm. and I just made a very quick decision because it was 70,000 feet on one floor with four balconies overlooking Manhattan. So, you know, instead of looking at a building across the street, we really opened our vision for where the brand could go. Mm -hmm. And... You know, of course, the savings in in rent were a big factor. But, you know, the main factor was to reinvest in the business and find new ways to to sort of get the company to a a younger place. You know, Brooklyn is this cool, hip area. It's very entrepreneurial. And being entrepreneurs, we so wanted to be part of the next thriving community of uh, uh, how you take a business you know, sort of re- keep reinventing your business. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's so important right now. And especially when you said, you know, it's like it was like seven little companies, like those internal silos uh, seem to be and the process of dismantling them seem to be like one of the biggest priorities for brands that have been around longer than, you know, what, five years sure. <laughs> or those early days where you don't you don't have to deal with that yet because you have 20 employees. But so how big how big is the company? Oh, the company's big. Yeah. <laughs> the company's about 200 million. We've got 2,000 employees globally. Wow. Um, you know, and, and as the company grew on Lafayette Street, you kept building a new little section for a new department for what you were doing. And if you sort of stepped back and, and looked at it, it, it completely needed to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people got it right away and they're like, this is so great for the company. Others were like, you could never leave the address. You named the company mm-hmm. after the address. So, you know, you have to stay here. And I, I honestly am surprised at how many people didn't even know where the name came from. Right. You know, so... We're, we're okay. We still have a floor in the building mm-hmm. on the eighth floor, and we still have a store there, and people come all the time, and, and they love it, but they understand, uh, you know, a company must evolve. Right. Yeah, that's that's funny, because it's, you know, some things that feel so, like, internally important, 
you know, customer on the West Coast might not really even know. So <laughs> <laughs> they don't. I've been people in the building that say, "Now, where did the name come from?" You're like, I'm like well, you don't want to know. <laughs> How'd you get here? <laughs> right, right. So you know, as you, I, I think that the you know, looking into new ways of, of restructuring workflows and everything. Like what was, what would you say was, I'm sure like a million things had to happen or are still in the process of happening, but what was one like point of, you know, just restriction around the way that it was previously formatted that you were like, okay, let's, let's start here because I feel like this will help a lot. Like, sure. was it working across departments? Like what is now at the center of the, of the company strategy? You know, um, I think the communication would be the most critical change that came about. You know, design is is sitting close enough to sales that they're in the showroom, not on another floor. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, the company wasn't laid out to be the most efficient that it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, we also made a, the one of the main decisions was to reinvest in the business. And so... You know, your biggest expense or our biggest expense besides the product was the employees. And I really didn't want to change the culture because, you know, a a great company is about great people. And so the second biggest expense was the rent. And we wanted to take that uh, savings and reinvest it. Mm -hmm. So we opened a store in South Coast Plaza in September. We opened Tyson's uh, down in D.C. in February. And now we're opening Madison Avenue uh, in August. So, you know, those were exciting times for the company to say, look, we can be more efficient, we can save and we can reinvest. Mm -hmm. And I'd say those are the three biggest decisions we made. Yeah. Um, So obviously these things kind of are just like the foundational, like underpinnings of everything that the brand is outwardly to the customer. And so, you know, you're opening stores, you're you're growing in different ways, evolving. Um, I know we chatted before about, you know, the print catalog and how that is being brought onto a digital platform. Um, but, But, you know, big picture, like, what would you say who like who is the customer and how do you want to communicate like who the brand is now especially because at one point you want to stay true to the customer that has been shopping since day 1 but at the same time say like okay we're we're modernizing on on the other hand well I definitely think that the customer has changed because the world has changed. So in the last 20 years, you know, technology has has really moved everything forward quickly. I think women have even more choices and more demands on themselves today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they need clothes that keep them uh, in the way that they live today. Um, You know, just how much of your wardrobe is 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 sort of sophisticated how much is for special occasion how much is for casual wear you know we've had to um, we want to dress her seven days a week mm-hmm. so we've had to move along with her and and be able to give her uh, what she wants so that she can feel com- confident and beautiful uh, when she walks out of the door mm-hmm. and so but like you said there's so much choice today and you know I think every fashion brand what they want to do is is appeal to their customers but how do you cut through the noise um, well, definitely uh, quality for us. You know, mm-hmm. being a vertical company, and we are vertical. We mm-hmm. make our own clothes in our own factory. We don't make for anybody else. So the full focus is on the product, the quality, and that's what, you know, customers are really smart. So they're able to get the best value from us. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are a 75% female-run company. Uh, 90% of the executive committee is female, and it's women dressing women. 
women. Mm -hmm. So we really relate to who she is and what she needs from us. And, you know, we, we just know that she has so many choices. So if we can give her the best product, um, she doesn't forget. She comes back. She becomes extremely loyal to us. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's super interesting because I, I, can you talk a little bit about the advantages of being vertically integrated? Uh, obviously, it's not it's not like you ever would market it that way exactly to the customer. Hey, we're vertically integrated. Like, that's great. But you, the benefits of it come out, you know, in the customer experience and in, you know, your your timetables, I'm sure. So especially now when we're in this direct era of, of retail and, you know, they're not having to go through a wash of intermediary partners and middlemen uh, is is a huge advantage. So how have you guys been able to take that and, and uh, you know, put it in the forefront of your strategy? You know, it was the concept from the beginning that, you know, I personally have traveled to 70 countries in the world figuring out how to manufacture clothes for many big brands. And, you know, it's exhausting. I mean, traveling around the world is is, is hard work. I mean, one year I went around 11 times in one year. And wow. I just was like, you know, I wanted to... I wanted a change as well. And so the thought of, you know, most fashion companies don't want to run a factory. I don't I don't know if there's any or many that do. Mm-hmm. And most factories don't want to manage the talent and uh, the, the personalities that go along with being in the fashion business. Mm-hmm. But I met this couple, um, a husband and wife, that were amazingly good at what they did. They were for sure one of the the best factory for jackets in New York City. So they survived the longest on location because they were able to, you know, be quick with their orders. So we took that quick philosophy and turned it into a business model and said, you know what, if the customer is taller than our spec, we can custom make it for her. We run 58 sizes, which Mm -hmm. is probably also unusual mm-hmm. um, because you know we want to dress all of them we're not we, we don't mind if 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 our customers are are large and and they still want to look good and feel good and we we're so proud to dress them and we we do a uh, petite fit you know mm-hmm. a lot of these special sizes have went away and it, it hasn't went away for us mm-hmm. it's it's being able to constantly be quick we can turn our production at three weeks so we're able to react and you know, in today's world, you have to be fast, you have to be able to be customer focused, and you have to give her what she wants when she wants, or she's going to find it from someone else. Right, exactly. Like, I, you know, having, you said three weeks is start to finish? Three weeks start that's, to finish. That's, how have you, has your like calendar changed now that, you know, even if you could have done that from the beginning, now it's like, so so important because other people are moving a lot faster as well, but they're doing it, you know, without the quality too. So if you're able to strike that balance, um, you know, have you looked at collections throughout the year differently, and how do you also send then like send that message to the customer? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that we do that I think makes a big difference is we do about 250 trunk shows a year, mm. and you take the you're we're able to duplicate the collection 11 times and take it on the road and get right to the consumers in these little boutiques, and we get a direct read from them on what they're looking for, and we're able to go back and say, wow, these red leather jackets are doing amazing. Let's make sure we get more red leather. Let's go back to our stores. Did we buy? that? Should we have bought that? Mm-hmm. Do, do our other accounts, do do they need it? Do they want it? So it becomes, you know, of course, technology makes it go faster. Your decisions can be quicker, but you can definitely hear the voice of the customer because nobody has a crystal ball in this business. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be able to, to be on 
the you know quickly on decision making there's not you know we're privately owned there isn't a lot of big meetings that we have to deal with to make a decision you know i'm i'd rather make a quick fast decision than a a slow decision. It's it's all about being fast. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the reason why you haven't decided to go public or, or anything like that? Um, no, we just you know a little spoiled at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're we're still building. You know, I I, I always say you know twenty three years later, there's still we're, there's so much more to do. And mm-hmm. and you know we just did extensions. We're we're doing shoes. Mm-hmm. We're 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 on jewelry. We're opening up in spring twenty. 20, the shoe line. Um, we like to learn first, and I think we, we have so much opportunity, and we've been able to do it ourselves. You know, I, I definitely know the value of how hard it is to make money, because the first five years in business were extremely difficult years. Mm. We thought we needed a million, and 10 million later, we ran out of money. Mm. And so you find out quickly how important it is to spend your money wisely. Right. And so we're, we're probably more cautious than most firms, because you know, we have to earn it in order to spend it. And, you know, will the day come that things could change? Probably. I mean, we're, we're over, I was in London last week, and we met with Harrods, and we met with Harvey Nicks, and we're absolutely going to become global. We have 23 stores, or 24 stores, when Madison opens, uh, between China and the U.S. But we want to be we, you know, the world is so big, mm-hmm. and we're not afraid of the world. I love the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're just keep building and building. And when the time comes that we need help, we'll get it. Right. Because I feel like there's so much to be said about, you know, being a profitable apparel company, a a profitable consumer company, because you have so many uh, startups in the space that are getting venture capital. And like that's kind of being kicked down the line as they spend so much on marketing and just growth right right out of the gates. And so, you know, I think that approach to investing back in the business. I mean, it's not like you look around at all of the public retail companies and are envious of, of the time that they're having right now. And so, you know, when you look at what's next and where you are prioritizing investment, like you said, it's a global business. Um, where else, you know, once the capital comes in and you're deciding, you know, what where to go, where, where else do you see the business? I definitely feel that the company... In the early years, we really invested heavily in the manufacturing side of our business. Mm-hmm. It was what our our strength was. It was what my partners all did. We found over the first five years the best jacket factory, the best dress factory, the best blouse factory, the best pant factory, and they all became partners in the business. So we really built the brand to this point on great product, mm-hmm. great details of 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 chain stitching and, you know, hand-done jacket construction and, you know, horn buttons from Europe and all the things that the customer would come back for. I definitely see the future. um, The investments are in marketing. The investments are in the digital arena. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, we, we definitely, our, our website is our largest division. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bigger than, than all other stores combined. And so when we, we started the catalog business in 2008, and as soon as we dropped those books, the customers just wanted more. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really a pleasant surprise. And so updating your website and your platform and the photography, like we, we bring everything in-house as a company. Um, we just believe that we can control it better than, than anyone else. So even our call center. When, I f- when we first started the catalog, we didn't have a call center. So we farmed it out. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt that they don't understand 
as much about our product as if we kept it in-house. Right. So we moved it. It's it's been in it's still in New York at the moment, but it'll be moving into the Navy Yard uh, inside uh, a company store that we're going to put on the eighth floor of that building. Mm. We like eights. They're, yeah. they're like good luck feng shui for us. Right. Um, and and I I do think that as much as we've been able to control it, there is another level of branding that needs to take place, and that's mm-hmm. where we're going to go next. Yeah. Do you think that's because customer expectations have just risen across the board like in any touch point that they have with the brand expectations are just higher yeah I think there's so much out there and if you're not part of that and you're not getting to her Mm -hmm. you could get left behind right so you definitely need to make sure that you touch her wherever she wants to do if Mm -hmm. it's you know it's less it's more digital now than it ever was before so we need to up our game in that as well Mm -hmm. social media is so important for her you know so everything you know we study where she is what she's looking at what she's doing and you just must adapt to it right away right so what's been the hardest part around rethinking that business um, and approach to the customer for this digital world like you said you had the so you did you mean you started the print catalogs in 2008 yes and then but they've already kind of gone more digital well we've been able to cut back the amount mm-hmm. that we do so we've seen a shift from the print to the digital, but it is a shift. It's not an exit. Um, so we do both. So, you know, I think you you never walk away from what you started at. Mm-hmm. You just take it and evolve it into uh, what else you need to do in order to get her. I mean, we, we, have a, we had a huge wholesale business. And then at some point, how do you get directly to her so that she experiences the brand the way that you envision it? Mm-hmm. So that's where the stores came from. You know, when we first started the company in 1996, we opened five stores. Within the first year, we closed five stores. Mm-hmm. And really learned that the power of a brand is critical. So I, it's been a while since we reopened stores, but now that we have, I see how critical it is to do everything right. You know, you, you, it's it's multifaceted, and you must be. We have to be good at wholesale. We have to be good at retail. We have to be good at digital. We, we Our catalogs have so evolved. You know, I take out 10 years' worth of catalogs, and we almost laugh because <laughs> they, they've evolved so much. You, right. It's just fascinating. Right. Uh, what would you say is the biggest difference between now and 1996 on the storefront? Because, you know, going through that period, I'm sure you were probably like scarred a little bit. Like, oh, my God, we're never going to stores again. I did feel that way (laughs) at one point. And, you know, it was a really like, oh, no, do we have to do this? You have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it builds confidence. In, in your brand, it, it brings in, there is a traditional customer that wants to go to the store. Um, when they're inside, they just find other things. So, you know, they could bring one thing back and and take three more things out with them. And, right. You know, letting them know, like, we, we didn't have a full lifestyle brand when we started the company. Mm-hmm. And when you go into retail, you have to have all the components. If she wants that full outfit, you, you know, giving it to her is the best way. She's in the dressing room. You're bringing the shoes that go with it, you know, whether they're dressy shoes for a dressy outfit or casual for a casual. We've found that that these stores have really given us the confidence more than that. even, again, another surprise for us that it's really um, been a positive. Right. It's almost like the entire mood or approach has shifted. It used to be the biggest validation for a fashion brand was mm-hmm. being on the floor at a Barney's or Nordstrom, and now it's the ability to basically stand on your own and, and foster that customer relationship 
one-to-one that yeah. has become the marker. You know, the wholesale partners are still really important for mm-hmm. us. Um, we're still growing with them. Um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, that you have to study your competition. You have to study the shifts that are going on there, and you have to stay focused. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think we have a factory, so we need work. So can they? Ma- we make clothes for them. And I'm always like, you know, we really don't want to do that. We really want to just be the best we can at what we do mm-hmm. and not... Um, um, sort of, you know, lose focus. Some people are like, well, what's your, your sub-brand? Are you going to open a, another, you know, Studio 148 mm-hmm. or something like that? And, you know, I'm, I really am not. Right. I'm so happy to take one brand and say, I want this brand to be a household name. I want people to know, you know, what we stand for, what we are. I don't let people try to tell me what we should be mm-hmm. or what we should do. Um, I listen to everybody, but at the end, I have a responsibility to not just my employees, my employees' families. You know, we have a school with 350 children mm-hmm. that the company funds and, and fully takes care of their poor children. Um, you know, all of these things weigh in on the decisions that w- we make every day to make sure that we're heading in the right direction. Wow. Yeah. And I think that staying focused, it's like, once you made it through the the clutter, it's having that that streamlined point of view is so important, especially when you look at what happened to all those (laughs) subsidiary brands. It hasn't really proven to be the best approach um, for for today's customers. And so what would you say is the biggest, you know, in terms of that you have the global strategy, but also like, you know, reaching a new customer? Like, do you find that younger customers have different values? Like, what are they looking for? um, And how do you plan to meet, um, you know, the up and coming generation of the next shoppers well we're you know i think that her mom is wearing our clothes already mm-hmm. and i see it at the trunk shows when they now they're shopping for the daughter they're bringing the daughter in you know my nieces and you know all of these young uh, girls like they're coming into the professional world they're wanting to build that confidence in themselves and definitely the world's in a better place it's not as uniformed as it was when I first started in right. the business but um, there's a confidence in loving what you're wearing and you know being unique and not just you know wearing what like I, I was over in England last week and I went out to dinner with uh, a couple of friends and relatives and other people had the same dress on in the same restaurant and I could just see they were mortified and you know I, I get it you know I think not being too big but being special mm-hmm. um, you know it's 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 just really it's like it's like a great restaurant it doesn't have to be the biggest restaurant it just has to be the best food mm-hmm. and you're going to go back and I think that you know young people they want they always want to aspire to the next level so we're happy to bring them there I think opening price points in, in non-apparel helps them mm-hmm. because they might get in one way but once you're in you you wear one of our white cotton shirts and you maybe you don't know why you love it that much but it's it's one of our heritage fabrics and we've r- run it with the same supplier for the last 23 years and you know that is a quality that we're so proud of and we our competition is your closet. So you open up your closet every day and you, you pull out your favorite white shirt or your best fitting black pant. And, you know, they, that's what you go to. We mm-hmm. all have way too much in our closet. So we're big believers in in sort of getting them hooked on the quality, the fit, and uh, the price-value relationship that mm-hmm. we're able to give because we don't have all those middlemen. That is is it's a formula that works really well for us mm-hmm. and brings her brings her 
to us. Yeah, I'm sure. It's it's that like building your own, the foundation yeah. of the wardrobe. And, and I think that becomes more appealing as people learn to appreciate it. Uh, and then on the on the topic of staying focused, you mentioned, you know, you're investing in marketing, digital, like all of like the digital media and everything that, that comes with moving a business to more online. Um, how do you stay focused when there's so many like buzzwords like, oh, there's like AI, there's, you know, Snapchat, AR, like VR, and there's all these different ways that you can talk to a new customer that, you know, can kind of run the gamut of like gimmicky to actually serving a purpose. But how do you make sure that the messaging around all of this stays on on point and where you want it to be well it's definitely an investment area in the company mm-hmm. you know you you watch these departments grow and and they grow because th- those are the decisions of how you spend your money and making sure that the wording that we're using is is the right buzzword for mm-hmm. her you know I think you know AI is is critical I just came back from a technology conference in Las Vegas two weeks ago um, two actually back to back and you know it's it's something that uh, I want to learn I think you know anybody who's in business has to evolve and change and learn and you know I have such a heightened respect for the technology department and what they can do for the company mm-hmm. and how much they help us get where we're going so you know we ha- we have robotics in in our factory we have you know all the automated machinery that we need and and then how you know I, I put one person in the technology department to sort of be the link between the world that you know that a lot of these people live in the computers right they're 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 focusing on it and then there's the company that's running and you need someone that bridges the gap between the two worlds anyone that doesn't focus on technology will be left behind mm-hmm. because it's super critical in in every aspect that that it touches your company right and you know and knowing that end consumer what they want who they are is so important today sure i mean we we you know we have technology and and we're not the only ones that you know you call up on the phone and we it pulls up the pictures of what you bought when you bought it where you bought it what's your returns what's your problems do you want to talk to a a customer do Mm -hmm. you want to go to the closest store because that's what you like to do and i think technology is really helping us all move quicker and and without being in focusing on that world, you might not be as competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, looking ahead, you have these stores opening this year. Where else do you see Lafayette having an opportunity to make a bigger impact? Is is China your second market? China is. I mean, we have we have Canada as well, mm-hmm. and a little bit. You know, we do we ship internationally on border free, but we also are you know talking in Europe now, and we're talking to to South America and Mexico. I've brought in a, a person that handles international distribution for the company. So, um, you know, when you you first meet these companies, they the first thing they want to know is what's your story, what's your brand, mm-hmm. and and, you know, we've got that solid base now. And I'm, I'm actually happy that we waited. Yeah. I think that sometimes people go faster than necessary. It's better to, to build, you know, one country at a time, just like you build one classification at a time mm-hmm. until you eventually have a lifestyle brand or a global business. So, you know, it's 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 going to round it out. It's a, it's a big world out there. And we want to address them all. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, and so just to, you know, we're almost out of time, but uh, you, you mentioned it's a lifestyle brand and that kind of evolved over time. What do you think it means to be a lifestyle brand today? Because it feels like everyone wants to be one um, and 
but the more you hear it, the less you're like, okay, what does that actually even mean? <laughs> it means you have to be good at everything. <laughs> yeah, I how mean, do you do that? You have to make jeans for the weekends. You have to make evening clothes for the holiday parties. You have to give her that desk-to-dinner blouse that she wants. But you still have to be, you know, a tailor jacket is very important in a wardrobe. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shifted only within 4% of its classification in the company over the last 23 years, mm-hmm. where, you know, someone else might say, oh, nobody's wearing jackets. Yeah, they are. You know, they, you, have, you just have to be good at everything, and you have to have a team that watches the ebbs and flows of where you are, where she's going, and how you're going to be there. You know, leather is a big business for the company. And we didn't know how to make leather in the beginning. Right. We learned how to make leather. Right. You know, you you just, you find what she wants and give her the best that you can. But you have to do everything good. I think that's what a lifestyle brand is about. Mm-hmm. It's dressing her every day. Mm-hmm. But how do you do everything while stay, staying focused? Oh, well, as long as it's our brand, Mm -hmm. the design team, they're a multi-talented group. You know, Emily Smith runs it, but they are, um, you know, they, the designers are so creative. So as long as we tell them we need more dresses with sleeves, because that's always like one of those things, Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, they're, they're, whatever that it is that we hear she's looking for, it still has to be true to Lafayette. I mean, if, you know, when somebody comes in and says, what about men's? no. I'm going to dress the girls. Someone else can do the boys. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good focus. Uh, Great. Well, thank you so much, Deirdre, for coming in. It was really fun. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code intro at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.